looking to start a podcast but don't know where to begin? Look no further. The team at Dodge Media Productions has 20 years of experience as podcast listeners and observing the industry and eight years experience in podcast production. We can help you take your podcast from idea to fruition and we'll make the process seamless and easy. We'll help you with everything from recording and editing to hitting the charts on Apple Podcasts. So what are you waiting for? Contact us today and let's get started. DodgeMediaProductions.com You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 152, and we are going to talk about 1984's This is Spinal Tap. We, unfortunately, with our idea of picking all these older films from the AFI list and and what our listeners have sent us in, this one was hard to get to. (laughs) This is going to bankrupt us trying to, to buy all these movies. Right. But we did find a free version on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. So that uh, nobody has shut down yet. Yes. So Um, I will put the link in. I don't know how long it'll last, but that is how you can also view This is Spinal Tap, which was directed by Rob Reiner, who we know from Sure Things, Stand By Me, The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally is a director, but we know him in many more movies as an actor. And it stars Rob Reiner as Marty DeBerge. Michael McKeon, Christopher Guest, Harry Shearer, with some cameos of Bruno Kirby, Ed Bagley Jr., Fran Drescher, Billy Crystal, Howard Hessman, and Fred Willard. The DP for this film is Peter Smokler, who we know from one of your favorite shows, Sports Night, from 98, Mm -hmm. and The Larry Sanders Show. From 92. Much of the footage was filmed over eight or over a hundred hours for this film. And it eventually required three editors to complete this film. Not wild. That's that's bonkers. Now, they probably got a lot of of the hours because they were just filming constantly because it was improv. Right. They they did some backstories and they did some some kind of riffing together ahead of time. But. Uh, the dialogue was improv. So my guess is that Reiner just had him roll and, 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 and make fun and then capture that. But then, yeah, the poor editors had to go through that and try to try to find the story. in. Right. This was shot a bunch of different locations around L.A., Six Flags, Magic Mountain, Pasadena, Sherman Oaks, Valencia, And the writers for this, I thought it was really cool. Rob said since this was largely improv, like you said, he wanted himself, Christopher Guest, Michael McKeon, and Harry Shearer listed as the writers. And as we've talked about in a couple of our podcasts, the WGA is a little picky about... A little grumpy sometimes. ...about who gets listed as writers. And they really don't like more than two, I believe. There's yeah. some rule about how yeah. many can be listed. I'll say that. And so, but it, they are listed. All four of them are listed as writers. Mm-hmm. They, they gave in, as it were. The synopsis for this film is Spinal Tap, one of England's loudest bands, is chronicled by film director Marty DeBerge on what proves to be a fateful tour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have eight 
taglines for you. I, I, I love it. This is what happens when you have four funny people <laughs> improv right? Okay, let's let's all hear right. all eight. Ready? Here we go. This ain't just rock and roll. Okay. Life on the road was never this funny. Okay. Prepare to crank those amps up to 11. Best so far. Right. Crank it to 11. Uh. Spinal Tap does for sex, drugs, and rock and roll what Sound and Music did for Hills. <laughs> okay, that sounds like it's one of the guys. <laughs> yeah, I like it. That was really good. The funniest movie ever made about rock and roll. Nah. The original rockumentary created by Christopher Guest, Michael McKee, and Rob Reiner and Harry Shearer. That sounds like a more recent yeah, one. Yeah, that's the 30-year the reissue. And then uh. they repeated, does for rock and roll what the sound of music did for Hills. Right, right. Okay, all right. I kind of like the previous one, I yeah, think, a little bit better. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This is the only film on IMDb with a rating of out of 11 instead of out of 10. And that is so flattering <sighs> that somebody modified the code for IMDb's website to allow this one film to go to 11. I know. It's so appropriate. It it's really is. so perfect. When I saw it, I gasped. And like we paused the movie. I had to show you because I knew you'd be right. thrilled to see that. So that scene is so iconic, right? There's just so many parts of that that are funny. Uh, you know, don't even look at it. And then I always go to 11. Yeah. But couldn't you just make 10 that much louder? <laughs> Pause. But I always go to 11. Yeah. So, but they're re referenced in other movies. That's why I think yeah. this to me is, is a classic. So, of course, there's the whole like subplot in Wayne's world about the guitar. And very much that's influenced by this. But I remember it would have been... 90, 91, somewhere in there, there was um, on MTV, they had a show of some sort where they would, went to see the members of the metal band Scorpions, which is a German band, and the guitarist, I think his name is Michael Schenker, was at a castle, and he had a collection of guitars, and what made it hilarious was I do not believe he knew he was basically reenacting that scene from Spinal Tap that had been recorded years previous. But I'm watching that thinking, oh, those guys perfectly captured this rock guitarist because he's trying to be serious and he's doing that bit. So they, um, they found that, that just that pitch perfect comedy because they landed exactly what all of these bands were like. Mm -hmm. I know it was just, it was so fun. So kick us off with your pickup line and then we'll go into more of the film. Hello, I'm Marty DeBerge. Mm -hmm. I loved the opening scene too, because I feel like this isn't done very much anymore, but it was very much like Walt Disney would always open up the wonderful oh, world yeah, of Disney. Standing, like leaning against a desk or something. Mm -hmm. And he would kind of talk about the film that was going to be, and I can't think of any other like, films or documentaries of the time, but maybe, but Marty DeBerge basically puts himself in the, yes. the documentary right. and explains why he is talking to these guys and why they're mm -hmm. so important and why he felt in a little fun thing. Um, 
he said that his name he took from all of his favorite directors, Rob's favorite directors, Martin Scorsese. Who I told you all these. I think Bergman was the Berg. De Palma. Brian De Palma. Uh, Steven Spielberg was the Berg. Okay. And then Fellini. And there was another Italian that had an I at the end that it, yeah. he said was also why he kind of created that name. The mockumentary filmed over five weeks on 16 millimeter cameras. Right. That's pretty impressive. And he, but that opening scene kind of lets the viewer know what you're in for. Cause it has the, the line of like, you know, go down in history as one of Britain's loudest bands. <laughs> like loudest. That's all you can say about them. <laughs> right. Uh, like I said, there is an earnestness that he brought to that role that really sold it. That there was this guy who is a huge fan. He's like, I'm going to make a documentary about my favorite band. And then when you look, there are other documentaries and I wish I could remember the name of it. There's a metal band in Canada that like 40 years later is still, still trying to make you make it a bit break. And all of this like references that MTV came up with, they started making rockumentaries, but that's a word that was coined as far as I know in this movie. This is so much, it created kind of its own industry. It's just amazing to me. But as we've talked about, this movie is for a very narrow demographic in the sense that everyone can appreciate the humor, but the people who were into heavy metal in the late seventies, early eighties, this hits just so perfectly home. Well, and I'm trying, I was trying to see really quick if I, I read in the, oh yeah, here, several rock stars have commented on the uncanny accuracy of this right. spoof. Uh-huh. Ozzy Osbourne said when he first watched the film, he was the only person who wasn't laughing. He thought it was a real documentary. You <laughs> <Yes. laughs> U2 guitarist, The Edge says, I didn't laugh, I wept because it was so close to the truth. Yes. Marillion, they had five drummers in the space of a year. Oh, that is between hilarious. their first two albums, which he, which uh, guitarist Stephen Rothery later admitted was like Spinal Tap. <laughs> I mean, it just, right? Yeah, it hit close to home with a lot of people, especially right. if you figure all those people in the industry. Yes, and, and I mentioned that I read many years ago when this film first came out that well casting. Rob Reiner and whoever else was involved, they wanted mediocre musicians was there. And I would argue that they're actually really good musicians. Now, maybe they're not, you know, good enough to have a career at it, but they're actually really good musicians. But to me, it feels like Christopher Guest and Michael McKeon and Harry Shearer loved this music. Mm -hmm. I just don't think you can hit it like that. So Harry Shearer plays Derek Small as a bass player. And throughout the whole film, he wears... BDSM style clothing. Mm -hmm. That's Judas Priest, mm -hmm. right? And then N Nigel Tufnell, mm -hmm. uh, played by Christopher Guest, he, to my eye, is dressed like Cheap Trick in that era with the satin tight trousers and the tiger stripe and the and the weird hair. It's not really a mullet, but it's like poofy and long. I mean, so they it was just they um, they nailed it. Yeah, they very very much got the spirit of it, and then with the Stonehenge bit, right? That's just so funny. The level of ridiculousness and how seriously they're taking it. Mm -hmm. And then the pretentious voiceover of, 
the druids. It just is so perfect. <laughs> this this has to be in your top five. I think so. I, I think yeah. I won't make you say where, but yeah, it has know, to but, be in your top five. Yeah. And that's why I said there there is a generation of us that that were listening to those bands for for whom this is it's like a love letter, right? And so, whereas Ozzy and The Edge were like, this is so accurate, I thought it was a documentary. For me and my dumb buddies, it was like, we knew it was a comedy, but it was, again, it seemed like it was from people who loved it. That It was like your brother making fun of you. So loved it so much that tell me about the experience that you had with your buddy. <laughs> oh, yeah. When, like, the movie had to have come out. Oh yeah, yeah. So within months of the movie no, coming this out, was, this would have been like nineteen ninety ninety one. So, oh, so like a tribute, kind of like ten, yeah, 15 it was maybe years later. It was maybe ten years later. Okay, tell me what you guys did. We went to an actual Spinal Tap concert. I think they have done a, a, oh, at least one more since, but at the time it was a one off. It was down in L.A. I think at the Sunset Amphitheater. I I, I don't even know how we heard about it. But we got tickets and my dumb buddy and I, who owned their album, right, we went and watched this concert. And it was exactly what you would expect from these guys to do a concert. It was so good. So they were good. in character. They were in character the entire time, right? And so they had a bunch of really funny gags. So there's uh, Van Halen was known for their Marshall stack of speakers, uh, these amplifiers. And so they actually... They had some built that like two different sizes, the regular ones, but then they had one that was like five times as big. And then they had one that was a fifth the size that was just sitting on top with a little red light because it was powered. Things like that. Um, at the time, there was this big popular, I should say, show on MTV called Unplugged, where a rock musician would come and play acoustically on just a stool. And Christopher Guest did that. And he came out and he played mandolin. And this is why I said he is so talented that you don't, he would be playing like a Spinal Tap song and segue into Happy Birthday, um, some classical piece, you know. I mean, it was incredible watching him. And then I think it was Harry Shearer's bit. He was going to do a bass solo. And so this is a, a standard trope in rock concerts. Like the bass player is going to do solo and everybody else goes backstage and you assume they get a drink of water. On the big screen behind him, they showed what the other guys were doing. But, like, Christopher Guest gets out, he gets in a limo. And so while Harry shares doing his bass solo, they show him in the limo, and he goes and gets, like, Carl's Jr. or something. I don't even know what he did. It was hilarious. Like, they, they took the all of the tropes and just laid them open. It was so good. And it was so neat for years to say, I have been to the only Spinal Tap yeah, totally. That's awesome. So as far as the historical context for this film, in 2002, the Library of Congress deemed the movie culturally, aesthetically significant and selected it for preservation in the United States National Film Registry. I would say all three. This is Rob's first film to be selected, and the second would be Princess Bride in 2016. Oh, another classic. I know. I mean, Rob is a... a true gift for our country well the reiner family oh my right? goodness absolutely boy imagine the pressure on rob's kids 
By the way, there is a wonderful documentary out right now that Rob did about Albert Brooks, his friend. And uh-huh. Carl Reiner pretty much propelled Albert's career because they went to high school together, Rob and, and uh, Albert. He would come over naturally yeah. to his buddy's house. Sure. And there's Carl Reiner. And, and Albert would be, you know, like popping off and right. being funny. And Carl said, this kid's really got something like he's really funny and really encouraged him and kind of, I think, helped get him in front of the right people. The rest of your friends, not so funny, but that that, that Albert kid, that Albert Einstein kid, he's very funny. He's bright. So you mentioned costumes earlier and I love this, the bright spandex pants, the red, the yellow, the sleeveless t-shirts in the, in one scene, Nigel Tufnell wears a t-shirt from Norman's rare guitars. And that was a little bit of product placement because Norman apparently provided. That was Norman's facility with all those guitars. Yeah. And so he provided the guitars for, for production. Way to go, Norman. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that I didn't notice the first dozen times I watched this film, but I think it's hilarious, is it appears that Marty DeBerge is wearing a service cap from the USS Coral Sea CV-43, which is an aircraft carrier. He's not, actually. If you look, it says Ural Sea OV-4B. Mm-hmm. So someone took mm-hmm. the cap and, and used the embroidering stitching machine. And I think that was probably because they didn't want to piss off the sailors. <laughs> yeah. The Navy. Yeah. yeah. I think you're right. But so now I'm, I didn't look, but I wonder, can you buy a USS Ural Sea ball cap? Oh, that'd be awesome. Internet? That'd be awesome if you could. So we hypothesize as they stand over Elvis's grave and sing heartbreak <laughs> hotel, that this had to have been guerrilla filmmaking. Oh, absolutely. They pretended to be tourists. They got there and pulled out the camera. And I don't think so. I think this was actually planned because the reason that they sing Heartbreak Hotel, it says, is because it's the only song that producer Karen Murphy could get the rights to. Oh. So if she had to go to the trouble of getting the rights, then I think it, that scene had to have been planned. Yeah, but it may still have not been with the permission of Graceland because if they perform it in the film, well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know either, but I just, also there was nobody, it was a tight shot, but there was nobody really around. Right. And having just stood at the gates of Graceland. Oh, that's true. There'd be a there billion people. There would have been people. a ton yeah. of people around, especially yeah. at the grave. Okay, that makes sense. That's interesting. I would love to know kind of the story behind that because I could, um, I could imagine Presley estate would want to kind of vet what right. what they're doing. Yes. And I remember a story speaking of, of rock bands and silliness, the British rock band Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. the like wife or daughter or something of the guy who made the Zeppelin blimps mm-hmm. um, was so flattered that someone named their band after her family that she came to visit them in the studio only to see the cover of their first album, which is a photo of it burning in New York, the Oh, the Humanity famous shot. Yeah. Well, a lead Zeppelin is not really... Yeah, like a lead balloon, you'd think it's right there. Yeah. Just speaking of Norm's rare guitars, again, this is, to me, the attention to detail that we love. So in, in rock guitaring, and in fact, in Led Zeppelin's video for Stairway to Heaven, perhaps their most famous song. Gosh, maybe I'm getting wrong on that. But there's 
a double guitar. It's very common that, that you'll see a guitar body with two necks on it. Mm-hmm. But they've always just been six strings, like for the lead singer or the lead guitarist. However, in this movie, they actually, someone had to make a double bass. So I didn't mean the double bass, like the stand-up version, an actual electric bass guitar with two necks. It is so ridiculously over the top, but it's, and it's only in like one shot for a few seconds where you see Derek Smalls playing it. But there's also another guitar related where they have Nigel, they make him a half size electric guitar. It's never explained. (laughs) He's just on stage playing this tiny little, but it's like a Fender Stratocaster but it's half size. I think it's, it's just incredible. a side gag. Yeah. But the level of commitment. I know. No, they're amazing. All right. Any head trauma in spinal? This is Spinal Tap. I didn't note any specific head trauma, although Derek did have a really hard time getting out of that pot. So that could have been there. <laughs> any Anybody got action? Any smoochies? <laughs> smoochie, smoochie, smoochie. I did not make a note of smoochies. I will mention that, again, another thing that they sent up was... His uh, Janine, who is David St. Hubbins' girlfriend, is obviously supposed to be Yoko, right? She's mm-hmm. breaking up the band. Mm-hmm. But we, I don't think we even saw them smooch. I think you're right. Uh, driving review. There's not a lot in here. So I, I had two things. One is when I was doing some research that really the only vehicles we see are tour buses. And according to the Internet, those are GMC tour buses. And I didn't know that GMC ever made tour buses. So, Hmm. interesting. The other is really an aircraft thing. They have a McDonnell Douglas DC-9 as their band's plane, and that, again, is supposed to show that you would be wealthy if you could have your own private plane, which I think in their case is not. It's public. But that's reminiscent of Iron Maiden's Ed Force One, which is the name for Iron Maiden's private plane, Mm -hmm. which, as an aside, not covered in this film, but apparently... Iron Maiden band member Bruce Dickinson flies Ed Force One most of the time. Hmm. He got his uh, pilot's license. And I'm wondering if that's the wisest thing to have a rock (laughs) band member at the controls. I just told you of one this week. You did? Who? Bare Naked Ladies. Oh, that's right. That's why I thought of it, I think. Yeah. It was, I can't remember his name. Yeah, yeah. But he, he very much enjoys flying. Yeah, yeah. Not uncommon. I think you have to have a certain amount of wealth to get into that hobby. Sure. Yeah. Man. All righty. Before we go to the numbers, um, this is ranked as Entertainment Weekly's top 50 one of, or it's number one. It is number one on Entertainment Weekly's top 50 cult films of all time. I can live with that. Yeah. I figured you would be happy about that. They actually shopped, shopped a demo around to various studios, but had no takers until television writer producer norman lear decided to back the project oh but rob reiner he would have already known him as meathead mm-hmm. oh excellent way to go norman lear yeah he seemed like a really good guy i think the world lost a a gem when we lost norman recently yeah you know the problem for me is his work that i most associate with is all in the family and carol o'connor who is probably a very sweet human being mm-hmm. played archie bunker who was not mm-hmm. and it was hard for me to get into that show because archie was so miserable yeah <laughs> A sequel, The Return of Spinal Tap, was broadcast and released on video in 1992 to promote Break Like the Wind. It consisted mostly of footage from an actual Spinal Tap concert at Royal Albert Hall. I believe that's oh, in so London. so they did do at least one more. Yeah. 
In it, the Stonehenge joke from the original movie is referenced as the new large prop is instead too big to get in the venue. Yeah, I think in the one we saw, they had they had some some Stonehenge related mm-hmm. humor. And I have the best news of your life right now. Okay, good thing I'm sitting down. I'm so happy you're sitting down. I'm going to brace myself. In May of 2022, director Rob Reiner announced that he is working on a sequel to the film, which will include him returning to play <gasps> DeBerge and McKee and Shear and Guest as the members of Spinal Tap. Oh. The film will be a Castle Rock Entertainment's first film following its revival in 2021, and filming is scheduled to start next month. <gasps> Are you so excited? I am super duper excited. Uh, I would like to say at this moment to Mr. Reiner, I would offer my services. Right. <laughs> would you even be willing to be like a grip? Oh, yeah. Like what do you need? A PA, a coffee? Would you do the run, coffee run? I'd be a fluffer. <laughs> All that rough, no. <laughs> All right, so we go to the numbers. Let's go to the numbers. This film had a budget, and I always, always called it Spinal Tap. I didn't know it was This Is. I think everyone calls it Spinal, Spinal Tap. Tap. I okay. think, yeah. Um, this film had a budget of $2 million. It made four... P- <laughs> Are you laughing? I just saw one of my notes, and I, I have to give credit to Fred Willard. He has a great joke. Oh. When, when they first show up at the Air Force Base, which, by the way, would have been McCord Air Force Base, because it was near Seattle. They didn't give the name. Uh-huh. And he says, oh, you were Spinal Tarp? <laughs> and that joke is so damn funny. Oh, Fred, we miss you. Um, domestically, it made 4.7, which adjusted for today would be like 14.8 million. Uh, Not huge. Not huge. Um, they definitely made their nut. Worldwide, though. Oh, <laughs> this is funny. Worldwide, they made $68. <laughs> So I don't know if we weren't releasing films worldwide in 1984. I feel like we probably were. Top Gun probably got. Well, that says to me that that they couldn't get anybody to buy the distribution rights internationally. And so Rob showed it like at Royal Albert Hall before, (laughs) like at a pub there. Right. It's so funny because it's become such a cult classic. But like if you look at just the, the box office, it's a failure. It's almost a flop, right? Right. Although we don't know video cassette, right? Yes. Did it do well enough there a la clerks that it, it its overall financial return was very high? Right. So it has a 7.9 out of 11. 11, which is low. Which I know it was very low. It, but it, critics give it a 96% and audiences yeah. love it too oh. at 92%. Oh, I can't yeah. believe the audience score isn't even higher. I bet that's just, you know, some people who aren't into either comedies or documentaries just gave it a lower score well you know they have these list of like funniest lines in the movies and i would think they would have multiple in there i, I can't imagine yeah this is this is just su- such a a good it's good it's funny. a classic it, is it the perfect length at one hour 22 minutes it is absolutely um in this regard filmmaker dustin morrow and i agree uh keep them shorter keep 90 them minutes is fine right it's rated R. It's listed as a comedy music. It is number 29 on the list of AFI's 
Top 100 Funniest Films. It is a Spinal Tap Productions and a Gold Crest Films, which was uncredited at the time. It won three awards and received two nominations. It won in in 2001, it won the National Film Preservations Award. Uh, Christopher Guest, Michael McKeon, and Harry Shear won the Best DVD Audio Commentary Award. Okay, okay, I just had an idea for a good skit, perhaps short film. Tell me. That um, we're supposed to be broadcasting things into space so the aliens learn us. And the guy at the observatory is actually a fan, so he sends Spinal Tap instead of whatever else they selected. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the aliens see it, and then the punchline is the aliens get it. Because they have their own metal band. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, yeah. Alrighty. All right, let's figure out what we're going to watch next week. Uh, let's see. Popcorn bucket drum roll. Uh, I got two. Let's see. Okay. One time. Oh, E.T. I wonder if I'll cry this time like I did when I was nine. I didn't cry when I was a kid, but it was sadder when I rewatched it than I remember. Yeah, I think as a parent, you just kind of, when they're in the tent, that's what gets me. Well, and then the the government, when it shows up, that'd be very, it's kind of frightening for me as a viewer, so. <laughs> yeah. All right. Stay tuned next week. We will talk about E.T. I can't wait to watch E.T. Oh, I, I'm... I'm really looking forward to watching that because I watched it as a kid and my cousin Jill, may she rest in peace, made fun of me because I, for the only time I can think in my theater going history, I called out in the movie. <laughs> you pulled an Ada shade. I pulled an Ada. Ada Serpus. I pulled an Ada. Ugh. And she heckled me mercilessly at the time and for years afterward. I think that's just good filmmaking if an audience member gets so involved right that they talk back or yeah. like maybe yeah. scream out loud when a gun is about ready to shoot a dog okay okay yeah yeah that's all right <laughs> that's that's just good filmmaking it's good filmmaking I think because you're you right. inspired a reaction sure because the human knows they're in a movie theater right but if they get so overtaken with emotion and call right. out yeah i I felt a connection yes. to E.T. that I'm going to go ahead and say my cousin did not. Yes, I agree with you. She was not in the film. She, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I wonder why. I think she was watching me instead of the film. <laughs> Don't you see what's happening to Elliot? Mind your business, Jill. All righty. So we will watch that movie next week. I hope you all in, uh, join us. I hope we can find it. I know. No kidding. <laughs> Let us know where you find it so we can watch it. Right. And we will be talking about it next Sunday. So, but never forget. Dodges never stop and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. 